0: During my years as a church elder, I've discovered passages of Scripture which on the one hand make me breathe a sigh of relief and on the other provoke quite a deep frustration and bewilderment. Let me explain. The sigh of relief comes when I discover that all through the years of the the New Testament church, even with the apostles at the helm, churches and believers in churches we're making all the same mistakes that we do. At least it's not just us. But at the same time, even with our Bibles open in front of us, the frustration and bewilderment that comes from wondering why we are so slow to learn some of the fundamental lessons that the Bible has to teach us. Now, 2 Corinthians is another portion of God's Word where if we pause to seriously consider what's being brought to our attention, we can learn many things which will enable us to avoid many of the pitfalls which cause friction and tensions and division in a local church. And when we spot trouble brewing, we can have no excuse for not stepping in and dealing with it lovingly and swiftly. And when we think about these kinds of things, it's very tempting for us to immediately start looking around the congregation at other people uh, because you think they need to take more note of these kinds of lessons than you do. But each of us should examine ourselves in all of these things. Each of us should continually take heed to ourselves in all of these things. If each of us would do as much as depends on me for us to live at peace with one another. Well, we discover that that is actually what happens. I probably should say that for us as elders in recent years, it's actually been a great joy for us not to have had any serious pastoral issues that we've needed to contend with and to be very thankful to the Lord indeed for frequent comments that are made by visitors to the church about the sense of unity and oneness that they feel and observe amongst us. Well, that's uh, something that we don't ourselves take credit for. We just have to thank the Lord for his kindness and grace and mercy to us. Not that we imagine for one moment, of course, that we have no problems. Not that we suppose for one moment things couldn't be better. And we must remain constantly vigilant, diligent in all of these things. Of course, one of the best ways to remain vigilant, one of the best ways to remain diligent, is to constantly have the Word of God open in front of you. And to have regular exposure to it. So as we consider this passage this evening, we may well thank God that we haven't had anything like the Corinthian experience in our church for quite a long time, we certainly have had some things in the past. But we must also be asking ourselves, each one of us, what can I learn here? What can I be doing so that I'm not the cause of something like this in the future? Well, what's gone on in the Corinthian church? Well, we know that there's, all, there's been all of these issues Concerning Paul and things being said about him and directed to him, we consider some of those things this morning. but something else is being going on in the Corinthian church, and we don't know all the details of it, but it seems that some great contention has been stirred up by one man in the church in particular. If you scan your eyes across verses six and eight of chapter two, you'll see a few phrases: "Such a man." forgive and comfort him, your love to him. We don't know who he was. We're not told the details of what the circumstance was. But it only needs one man, one woman, to cause chaos in a church. And as I thought about that, I realised actually that most of the contemporary modern day examples that I could think of where a church has undergone some great upset, it actually was a man who was the cause of it. Uh, Sorry men, but you all need to be extra vigilant. You are, after all, those who have headship over households. And it's men who are appointed in headship over the church on that basis you're the ones who'll do the greatest damage if you go astray and so it's not surprising is it that the enemy of our souls should target you for spiritual attack not that women can't cause carnage in a church but history tells us that it's actually mostly men who do It's just a fact. Men, take care. There are things we can glean from verse 23 of chapter 1 and through to verse 6 of chapter 2. When this issue first arose, Paul visited the church, basically had a showdown with them, because whatever the situation was, they hadn't dealt with it. They just allowed it to fester and get worse. It hadn't been easy for Paul, it hadn't been pleasant either for him or for the members of the church, but tough love had been necessary. The church hadn't really responded to the sin of this man at all the way they should have. It's an issue which many Christians and many churches fail to grasp and understand. If there is someone in the church in open and obvious sin, if there is someone who is clearly disturbing the spiritual health of the church. It is the duty and responsibility of the church to act as one and to deal with it. The church leadership obviously have a role to play, a very important role to play. But the whole church must must act together. Various passages in the New Testament teach this. Uh, Go and visit the words of Christ on the subject in Matthew 18. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul had had to address the issue head on or it wouldn't have been addressed at all. And when it still hadn't been fully addressed, he wrote them a sternly worded letter. That letter is not in our Bibles but he'd written that letter instead of making a promised return because, as he says in verse 23, he doesn't want to go through all that again. He doesn't want to put the church through what they went through the first time he visited them. Now The majority are in agreement with Paul and it's to them primarily that he makes the appeal in this passage that we just read. And from these words that Paul records for us, I want to notice three things about the Apostle Paul. I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude. And at the end of chapter one and into the opening verses of chapter two, we find there that for Paul, it's a source of great sorrow. Great sorrow when a church is going through internal strife, he feels it deeply. When believers are not experiencing the grace and the peace and the oneness in fellowship that ought to dominate church life. It pierces his soul. Now of course he doesn't have a magic wand that he can wave over a church to solve the problem. And if he does visit and nothing's changed. Well he knows he may only have to go over the same ground again. That would only stir everything up again and he doesn't want to do that. He has great love for these believers and to just cause pain and anguish to them is the last thing he wants to do. And the other thing about Paul's attitude in verse 24 is that he doesn't see himself as some big cheese in the church who can just come in and tell them all what to do and run the church for them. It's not how it is, says Paul. I've not got this position of super authority over you. We're fellow workers. Fellow workers with you. We're equal to you. Even as an apostle. Churches are not places where the minions just do whatever the boss tells them to do. That's not church life. And that's not how how Paul was as, as an apostle. Church members are not to expect that they can just sit there passively and some wonderful super-Christian of a pastor will waft in and just keep everything ticking along just as we like it. He says, each of us stand by faith. Each of us stand by faith in Christ. You're not pawns in the hands of church leaders Church leaders are just fellow workers alongside you, and each stand by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about being a fellow worker for your joy, verse 24 of chapter 1. Fellow workers for your joy. Now that's one phrase in this passage I'd like to encourage you to latch on to this evening fellow workers for your joy. You see, that Paul opens up his heart to us and a great deal of his attitude he puts on display for us and he wants it to be ours as well. If I make you sorrowful, verse 2 of chapter 2, how are you going to make me joyful? If you're just wallowing in grief, how am I going to get my joy from you? You see, Paul sees them as fellow workers for his joy. And to make them sorrowful would rob him of, their joy, of his own joy. If I just come in and, and I, I just, I'm a big weight upon you, have this big downer on you, that's not what I want to do. That's not my heart for you. And you yourselves are my joy. Where is the joy for me to see you like that? Fellow workers for your joy. I visit churches to preach in. Those churches, often it's just a couple of people who run everything. But That's often because they're quite small churches and there is no one else. And then I come back to Belvedere. And I'm humbled and I'm very grateful. I see different faces greeting people at the door. Although some of you could be a bit more diligent in remembering when it's your turn and being here on time. But I see many faces greeting people at the door. I see many people setting up for the service. Although there are some who could come and help. Occasionally, but never think to. But... I see lots of people. I see so many different faces going out to teach the children in their classes. BBB and Impact take place each Friday evening and I have no regular involvement in either of them. A huge team. We're faithfully here again for HBC and I only have to play a very, very minor role. And I see and feel... What Paul sees and feels. Fellow workers for my joy. Uh, Maybe I don't articulate that as well and as often as I should. But you are. Are you a fellow worker? Will you be? In what ways can you work alongside and on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you see your responsibility in being a source of joy to everybody else? That's an important lesson that Paul can teach us here. All of you should feel that way towards each other. When you come here on a Sunday, what will you do to bring joy to others? It gives me great joy just to see you here. What about during the week? Is there something you can do to bring joy to the Lord's people? And of course, when Paul talks about joy, he just doesn't mean making people happy. He means joy in the faith, joy in the knowledge of Christ, joy in being a Christian and in seeing other Christians grow. Real Christian joy. To what degree are God's people a joy to you? The degree to which the Lord's people are a joy to you depends primarily on your attitude. Are the Lord's people a joy to you? Or are they a bind? That largely depends on you. read 1 Corinthians look at what Paul had to contend with in the past with this same church but listen to the love and the regard that he has for them nonetheless not because they're all his kind of people that he just clicks with automatically people who he finds stimulating to be with they're all people who share the same interests as he does and I just get on with them all. Well, that's the world's way and it's often quite shallow and superficial. These people are a source of joy to Paul because they are fellow workers, because they are Christ's people and because they are the church of Christ. And for those reasons alone, The Lord's people are a great source of joy to Paul. If we can learn from Paul. To take joy in one another. Then we see Paul's pain. Paul's pain. And he opens up. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, he doesn't want that same kind of sorrow that he felt on that first visit. And he had to write a letter instead. But even as he wrote the letter in verse 4, it was out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. Paul hurts when the church is hurting. Paul hurts when he sees the Lord's people at odds with each other. It's a source of great distress to Paul when there's division in a church. Now he's written a previous letter which severely taxed him emotionally. And he makes further reference to that letter in chapter 7. We see there that it was actually Titus who delivered it and Titus went back with a report to Paul. And Paul really opens up his heart to us in verse 4. He's absolutely torn. He can't sit idly by and not do anything to help. But he knows if he is to be of any help, there will be many who are not going to enjoy listening to what he has to say. He loves them dearly. He only wants to do them good. And he wants to be a source of joy to them. But the church is looking ruin in the face. And if he doesn't take the bull by the horns and write to them very sternly indeed, there may not be a church to visit. Paul's pain is the result of his love for them. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't think twice about writing. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't care what effect his letter was going to have. I know a little of what Paul felt. I've been in situations, some of you will have been as well. Even if it's not in the church, maybe in your home, maybe in your place of work. And you know exactly what it's like. I really need to say this to that person. But I know that when I say it, they are going to explode. And then I'll be criticised by others for not handling it properly (laughs) And the same ones will criticise me if I sit back and do nothing. Paul, as we say, finds himself caught between a rock and a hard place. But it's his love for the church that wins through. And it's his love for the church that drives him forward. And it's his love for the church that makes him make those tough decisions that have to be taken and in the light of what Paul says there isn't it interesting what we read in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 uh, just talking about the church's responsibility to those who are leading them obey those who rule over you be submissive they watch out for your souls they're those who must give account Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Well, if the letter of Hebrews was written by Paul he knew exactly what he was talking about. Paul's pain because his love for God's people is so, so deep. And sometimes he has to make really tough decisions for the good of the Lord's people. These are really helpful, real life things that are being opened up to us here. And then thirdly, we see Paul's counsel. Paul's counsel. And that starts at verse 5. Since Paul wrote that stern letter to them. The majority in that church have actually come around and they've actually dealt with the situation and they've dealt with this man and they've applied church discipline which sometimes have to be very tough if those involved remain absolutely stubborn and rebellious. And church discipline is always to have one goal and there are three parts to that one goal. Three R's. Repentance, restoration, reconciliation. That's the goal of church discipline. Repentance, restoration and reconciliation. Paul knows because he's constantly getting reports Paul knows that this man is now in a condition of repentance. God's spirit has broken him and humbled him. Church discipline has done its job. But if all he continues to know from the church is separation or harshness or challenges, calls to do that which he has actually already done, Paul knows it could be enough to break this man completely. Enough now, counsels Paul. Enough. Where there has been sin and hurt and wounding, there is now repentance. That man's faith and relationship with Christ is being restored. And on that basis, it's more than time to have him reconciled to the church. Love him. He says, tell him you love him. Show him you love him. Forgive him. Tell him you forgive him. Show him you forgive him. If your testament is that he's repentant and forgiven, well, that's good enough for me, says Paul, and I rejoice with you in all that God has done. Beware of taking things too far, counsels Paul. Remember that the evil one is waiting to take advantage of any situation he can. You see what a knife edge sometimes these kinds of issues can be in churches. How difficult sometimes it can be. And as those who are leading churches have to lead the church in the right decisions to make. Can you see often how hard these things can be, how we need to pray for one another in our churches. Pray that we'll never find ourselves in these situations in the first place. And Paul counsels the church because he reminds them, just remember, Satan's waiting to pounce on any opportunity you give him. He'll take anything. You give him, the, you give him a millimetre and he will, he will take a mile Satan will take advantage of sin in the church. He'll take advantage when that sin goes unchallenged. He'll take advantage, if he can, when discipline is not applied. He'll take advantage, if he can, if discipline is wrongly applied. Whether it's too lenient, or too harsh, or too prolonged. And he'll certainly take advantage when one who has repented is not loved, and welcomed, and embraced and brought back into the fold and the heart of the apostle opens up for us in real situations and it's so so helpful and there are so many things here that we ought to take to heart all the time as a local church the church is the church of God we saw that last week in chapter 1 the church is the work of God we saw that this morning in verse 21 The church is unlike any other human institution. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It doesn't function like the world functions. We're a family, for one thing. We're a literal family. Brothers and sisters. With an elder brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And with God as our Father. And Paul has a heart that loves God. The church and longs to find joy in other believers. Is that your heart? Let's learn from Paul's attitude. Let's learn from Paul's pain. Let's learn from Paul's counsel. Let us determine. To be a source of joy to one another. Let us determine to find joy in one another. As those who are established by God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this portion of your word how we thank you O Lord that you have preserved and recorded this for us for our benefit for our learning for our help for our instruction Lord how easily we could see ourselves being in the very place of the Corinthian church because of all our own weaknesses and failings because of the pride that still lurks in our own hearts because of The difficulty that we have without your grace of humbling ourselves before you and one another. Oh Lord, help us to learn the lessons of your word. Work in each one of us, we pray. Make us to be the church of Christ that you would have us be. Help us to remember daily that you it is who's established us together in Christ to your glory and your praise. Help each one of us, O Lord, to play our part and to use those gifts you've given us for the good and the joy of each other and for the glory and praise of your great name. And we ask all of this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.